Well, good morning, Grace. I'm Robin Weber. I serve as the pastor of Congregational Care and the ministry leader at Celebrate Recovery here at Grace. It is a joy for me to be on the front row every Thursday night to see lives transformed. God has used Celebrate Recovery to take care and change and transform the uh, hurts, habits, and hang-ups of my life into becoming more like Christ in all of life. And uh, it's just exciting. I wouldn't trade it Thursday night for anything. God uh, started Celebrate Recovery at Saddleback Church 30 years ago under the leadership of Pastor John Baker and his wife, Cheryl. CR is all over the world in many countries and languages. And uh, we've had the privilege of taking teams from Grace into those countries like Haiti, Uruguay, and Argentina. Today, we are blessed to have Rodney Holstrom with us. Rodney is the Global Field Director of Celebrate Recovery of the national team at Saddleback. Would you give a warm grace welcome to Rodney? Good morning. So good to be here with you. Aren't you glad that we have a space here at Grace, I love this church. What this says that you have a celebrate recovery going for 15 years is that this is a safe church. Isn't that amazing? That we can come into this place with our brokenness. And I love even more that we have a father in Jesus that dwells inside of us that can meet us in our darkest moments. Isn't that good news this morning? Yeah, I was thinking this morning about the church as a whole and just how uh, sometimes, like it or not, some churches will make it a hotel for the healthy. And the church is not supposed to be that, is it? It's supposed to be a hospital for the sick. And I'm thanking God this morning, just reflecting on my own brokenness, that there was a hospital for me to come into in my brokenness, in my dark pain, my dark past, to be able to face the struggles of my past. I think, unfortunately, one of the things that we get stuck in as Christians, and I was there at one point in my life where we, we buy into the part of the gospel where we believe that Jesus Christ was sent by God to, to die on the cross, to be buried and resurrected and send to heaven for us. And if we believe and we receive him, then we have salvation, that we'll spend eternity with him. And isn't that a good part of the gospel? But the other part of the gospel that I think gets a little bit distorted sometimes, I know for me it got distorted, is we begin to believe this mindset, thank you, Lord, for my salvation. Now I'm going to work really hard to earn your love so that I can stay in good grace with you. And that's absolutely upside down, isn't it? The gospel is understanding that his grace is not just giving me salvation, but it's helping me face the struggles, the very struggles, the very sin, the mess that he was willing to square, look square in the eye and die for so that we might have life to the fullest. And so this morning, I want to I want to give you a thought to be able to just resonate in your heart. And as we go through our next few minutes together, I want you to just look at your own story in this. But this is the general theme and that life, life is being hidden with Christ. Misery is being hidden from Christ. I want to unpack a few verses. The whole book of Colossians is one of my favorite chapters in the New Testament, but, but there's four powerful verses in Colossians 3, and we're going to hit those first four uh, verses. I think they're very powerful. 
But as we do that, I want you to just understand that, that Paul is, is talking to a pagan society, right? A pagan culture. In fact, there's not many believers he's speaking to right now. And what he's about to unpack in this chapter is a game changer. And my prayer and hope this morning as we celebrate 15 years of Celebrate Recovery, that what we unpack here in these four powerful verses will be a game changer for you. Whether you've been a believer your whole life or just brand new, or maybe you're considering joining the forever family. And so with that mindset of game changing, let's jump into Colossians 3. Verse 1 says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, I love that, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So there's all kinds of things we can unpack with that. But I want to highlight a few things with you this morning of what it means to be hidden with Christ. And the first one is that word you. It's, it's easy to say, well, he's talking to us individually. But if you look at the core context of that word, it, it really means in Southern terms, y'all. All y'all. He's talking to me, but he's talking to us. He's talking to you, and he's talking to me. And here's the thing I don't want you to miss. This is such a powerful principle of why Celebrate Recovery is such an impactful ministry here in the church is it reminds us that my choices don't just affect me, they affect you as well. And they will ripple over to other people. My choices and my poor habits will affect me, but there will be a ripple effect and how it affects my wife and my kids and my church and my community and ultimately the world. So he's saying you, the fruit that we enjoy as men and women, brothers and sisters in Christ having been raised, resurrected lives, that fruit life that we live as we live as resurrected brothers and sisters in Christ will have an impact. But the opposite is true as well. And unfortunately, I know that all too well, that the choices I made affected people like you, my family, my community, my church. And so Paul's saying, all y'all have been raised. We're a family and we impact each other. I, I love this chart. I'm kind of a visual learner because it helps me to understand things a little bit better of how this all transpires with our hurts, hangups, and habits. So we, at the top of the chart there, you see the events. Every single one of us have events in our life that, that can cause havoc on our life. And it's easy to compare my hurt to your hurt and vice versa. But if it's big to you, it's big to God. And those events in our life create hurt. And too often we, because we don't like pain, we want to run away from our pain instead of facing the pain, we find ourselves in some, some unhealthy hangups. And I like to think of those hangups as, as unhealthy and faulty core beliefs of how I see myself, how I see God, how I see you, and how I see my circumstances. And somebody that believes, for example, that they're unlovable or they're unacceptable, it makes sense why we see those nasty habits come to fruition. 
Because if I believe I'm unlovable, I go do the things that, very, that confirm the very belief that I have. And I find myself in those things that we tend to think of with recovery, the drugs and the alcohol and the pornography, sex, that kind of stuff. But perfectionism and people pleasing and control and withdrawing and pushing people away in conflict, all those things become our defenses and our protections under that habit category. And the result is it breaks the relationships, it hurts the relationships, speaks to the collateral damage that Paul's talking about. Since you all have been raised, we all need to walk as men and women who have been raised from the dead in resurrected lives. So all y'all, the second point in that first verse is the heart. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your heart. Sometimes I can buy into the mindset that, that I've got to set a, a purified, clean, all put together heart. But because Jesus died on the cross for me, he's saying, set your heart in the condition that it is above. Bring your brokenness to me. And I love that. He's not expecting me to go get cleaned up so that I can present a, a, a clean, healthy heart. No, he says, come to me. But if I want to get away from who I've been and what I've done, I've got to acknowledge where I am. If you were uh, running a, a boat in the middle of a sea, you were the captain of your ship, and your boat broke down, and you're miles and miles away from any land. You can't swim because there's shark-infested waters. You don't have any rafts to, to row yourself to shore. So your only alternative is to pick up the radio and call for help, which makes sense. I need to call for help. I need to be rescued. And if I'm on the other end of that call when you call me, my first question to you is going to be this. Where are you? If I don't know where you are, I can't come find you and rescue you. But here's where we get lost as Christians sometimes. And I was so guilty of this. Instead of answering the question where I am, I would get focused on all the other stuff. Man, the, the clouds are sure dark over there. Or worse yet, I start focusing on all the things I should have done better to make sure this ship didn't break down. Man, if I would have repaired those parts and if I'd have done a, a better maintenance plan, if I'd have checked the oil, if I'd have done all these things, and if I'm on the other end of that call, I'm saying, now hold on, all that stuff is valid but we're not going to pay attention to that right now. I need to know where you are so that I can come find you. Now, let me be clear. Jesus doesn't need us to tell him where we are in order for him to rescue us. But he does want us to acknowledge it. Until I, we call it in recovery terms, surrender. God, I need to take ownership of where I am, take responsibility, not justify my behavior, but take responsibility. This is where I am, God. Will you come and rescue me? And I love that he's so generously, he's willing, he's able, he's caring. He will come and rescue us in that place. So I need to tell him where I am. I have to admit that I'm in fact a prisoner before I'll ever accept that I need to be rescued. Lord, I am lost. I am a prisoner. Only you can set me free. Will you come and rescue me in this dark place? Otherwise, we stay in this place of misery, don't we? You know, misery is an interesting thing. When I think about that, I, I was doing some research and I found the, the German word for misery. And it's actually a German word, Eland. 
And this is what a, the literal translation is, to wander away from our native land. Now, where's our native land as a believer? With the Father, hidden with Christ in God, right? When we wander away from our native land. It says to wander away from our native land and stay in a state of homesickness. Ugh. When we wander away, when we stay hidden from Christ rather than hidden with Christ, we are in this place of misery, aren't we? And here's where the enemy will get us. As we get over here into this place through poor choices, maybe things that were done to us, but we're in this, this place, this island of misery, I like to call it. The enemy will convince us, you can't go home now. You're too dirty. He's not going to accept you now. And by the way, I've got things that will feed the longings in your heart, unlike that God cannot do for you. I will give you the comfort in your pain. Here, try this. I will give you the security to, 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 to combat the insecurity in your life. I'll give you the strength when you feel weak. And if you're feeling lonely, I'll give you a sense of identity. And we stay in this place of misery. And here's the thing. It never satisfies. And we keep reaching and longing for something to satisfy those needs. Only Jesus can satisfy that. So he doesn't say, go get that stuff cleaned up and come home. He says, no, come home. And then we'll clean it up together. I will face this with you through my power working in and through you to face those hurts, those hangups, those habits in your life that you cannot do on your own. The sad part about being over here on Misery Island is we begin to push God away. We begin to push the body away. And when I'm pushing you away and not allowing you into my life, I'm in a sad, desperate place. Because I'm not experiencing the fruit of what it means to be a part of y'all raised with Christ. And it's a very lonely place. I've been there. I love what Paul says in Ephesians 2.13 about this. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away on Misery Island have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's only the blood of Christ that allows me to come home with all my brokenness, with all my hurts, with all those nasty habits, with all the relationship issues, I can come home. And he wraps his arms around us. I love that picture. But to be hidden with him means that I need to be willing to lean into the pain when I do come home. Because my old tendencies for me was to go to drugs and alcohol or perfectionism or workaholism or anything I could do to make myself feel better. We call them numbing agents. No, we need to lean in to the pain. To be hidden with him at home is to lean into that pain and allow him to help rewire, to let go of the, the, the prisoner type thinking that we have been stuck in for far too long in our life that kept us on Misery Island. Paul speaks in Romans 7, 18, 19, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Anybody ever been there? That's a miserable place. It's like, I want to do good, but I, can't, I just get stuck because I'm powerless. What Paul says throughout the entire New Testament is, you can't do this on your own. 
It is by grace and grace alone that you will be able to have the sustainable recovery and life that Jesus Christ died for to give us. Identified pain helps bring healing. And to be hidden with Christ means I don't have to face this pain, this pain alone. To come home means I don't only have Jesus with me, giving me the strength, but now I've opened myself up to beautiful relationships. I was, I, I was at your Celebrate Recovery this past Thursday night and looking around the room and seeing fellow strugglers saying, we love you, we're gonna wrap our arms around you, we're gonna do this together, you don't have to have shame, we love you right where you are, but we love you too much to keep you where you are. Let's walk through it together, let's lock arms. We don't have to face this alone. In fact, we weren't designed to face this pain alone. And I wish it wasn't this way, but the healing to the pain is in the pain. We have to lean into the pain. We have to be willing to trust and let other people into our pain so that we can experience that freedom and healing that he promises us. You know, for me, what I learned, I had 10 stepfathers who were physically, verbally, and emotionally abusive growing up. My mom had her own brokenness. And what I learned uh, very key in my recovery journey was if I only give God the stuff that I've done and not given him the things that were done to me, I'm missing a big part of the gospel. So part of it was confessing, God, I've been trying to deal with the abuse that happened from my stepfathers, and I need to confess that. And oh, by the way, some bad habits that I picked up on the way trying to, to numb out that incredible pain that I was dealing with in my life. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So we need to set our hearts the second thing is we need to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. That's a key thing. And one of the things that the enemy will do to keep us on that misery island is he'll mess with our mind. If he can convince us that we're unlovable, we're unacceptable, he'll keep us over there. He, in essence, hijacks us in our pain. How cruel is that? But he does that. If he can take advantage of those events that happen in our life that cause a lot of havoc and and get us to believe that we deserved it and we don't deserve to be home with our father. What a lonely place that is for us. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this. He says, beware of no man more than yourself. We carry our worst enemies within us. Man, what a scary sight that is that the enemy will use shame. You're a bad person versus you've made bad choices. And oh, by the way, this is why Jesus died for you, to bring the healing to those choices. One of the things that's, that's detrimental in that shame place is we begin to, to build a false version of ourselves. I built a false version of myself uh, because I believed I was a failure. I wanted to prove to everyone I wasn't a failure. So I put the mask up and I tried to prove to the world that I wasn't a failure, that I was lovable, that I was acceptable through performance. I'm addicted to striving. The enemy will try to use that to his advantage to keep us stuck. But one thing he will do in addition to that is the blame game. We can blame other people 
And I did that for years. Well, I grew up in a home of abusive stepfathers. It makes sense. I can justify my behavior in living this reckless life. No, I need to take responsibility. I don't justify my behaviors. I need to take ownership when I stop pointing the fingers and take responsibility in spite of what happened to me. See, what happened to me from my stepfathers was not my fault, but it is now my responsibility. How will I deal with this pain and hurt from other people? And when I'm stuck in this place of blame, here's the sad and scary part. I begin to lose the ability to fall underneath any kind of authority. That's a really scary place. Shame is rooted in that and we get stuck. But my biggest fear was in that shame place, if I'm seen, you're going to reject me, you're not gonna love me, you're going to drop me, and I'm gonna feel incredible hurt. And it literally feels like I could die if you see what's behind this mask. But I love Celebrate Recovery because it gave me permission. Here I am. And people loved me and met me exactly where I am. Verse 3, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that picture. It's like taking a seed and burying it deep in some rich soil. That's just immersing us. It's like the father wrapping his arms around us. I'm going to give you every ounce of water and sunlight and and the nutrients you need. And in this place, as we push you down in the deep soil being hidden with Christ, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you the comfort and the strength and this new sense of identity that the enemy's been lying to you about for so long. What a beautiful picture to be hidden with Christ where we can heal and ultimately grow and begin to experience that freedom the way he intended. But to be hidden with Christ means to understand that I've got to be willing to be vulnerable. I've got to have vulnerability and experience empathy from other people. First time I shared in a a small group setting and I shared some really hard things, I expected people to run out of the room in in disgust or go find the pastor and say, we got a really doozy here, we got to get them out of here. But when I saw smiles and sometimes even tears, I saw my pain in the eyes of my brothers in that room. For the first time I experienced empathy, but it took me being courageous enough to be vulnerable, to be hidden with Christ means it's safe. I can show you my ugly, and you're going to love me anyway in this, this sad place that I've been living. See, allowing Christ and others into my pain through vulnerability is the antidote. It's the antidote to my misery. It's the antidote to my shame-filled life. See, shame grows in silence. That's where the enemy wants us over here on Misery Island. I love what Brene Brown says about this. She says, if we can share our story with someone who responds with empathy and understanding, shame can't survive. I love that. When the body of Christ is in action and we can be vulnerable with each other and catch each other in those hard places, shame begins to die. It can't live there anymore. There's no more sunlight, no more water. We're feeding that. And when we come into that space, we move from, understandably, when we come in, we want to get away from all those addictions. We want to get away from those compulsive behaviors or or perfectionism or people-pleasing or control or whatever that is. Just get me away from that. 
But as we walk through this process of being hidden with Christ, we begin to understand that we don't have to focus on that anymore. We begin to get opened up to a, a brand new world. Oh, I couldn't see it. There's so much more out there that I never dreamed or imagined that you're showing me in this new space. And now my focus is not on getting away from that. It's moving toward this beautiful new life of freedom, a resurrected life, the way Jesus died for us. That's such good news. For you died. I never have to put up that false version of myself anymore. That old me's dead now because of Jesus Christ's blood, coming home to him, being hidden with him. And then verse 4, learning, learning to live that free life. He says, when Christ, who is your life, he is now our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. See, we begin to learn to live a free life as a fellow struggler. I still struggle, but I can live a free life because of what Christ did on the, the cross. It's understanding that I am accepted. When I come home, I'm accepted. I don't have to clean up. I come home and he wraps his arms around me. I'm accepted, but I expect transformation. Because when we are surrounded and immersed and hidden in that rich soil, protected with his strength, his comfort, this new gift of a new identity, growth will happen. Growth will happen because that's the power of Jesus Christ in our life. But it's the difference between striving over here and trusting over here and allowing him to do his work. You know, one of my favorite uh, verses in the passage is Paul again. I love Paul. It's in Romans 12, 1. And it starts off by saying, therefore, in view of God's mercy. Now, real quickly, anytime you see that word therefore, we need to know it's there for a reason. Okay, there's a big, big statement he's making here. So what is the therefore he's saying in view of what mercy? So if you go read the first 11 chapters of Romans, he's talking about our fallenness. We're broken. We are lost. We need a savior. And here's the savior. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to be buried, to resurrect and ascend to heaven. If we will believe and receive in him, we will have eternal life. In fact, in Romans 6, 13, it kind of comes to fruition when he says, don't offer your bodies to wickedness any longer. Don't do that anymore. <laughs> but walk as if someone who has been brought from death to life. So he unpacks all this in the first 11 chapters, this incredible news. And he says, therefore, in view of all that Mercy, I've just told you. Now, what's mercy? Justice says, I deserve the worst for my choices, and I do. Mercy says, I'm not going to give you what you deserve. That's what Jesus did. And Paul's saying, therefore, in view of all that mercy, in view of that mercy from God, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Learn how to worship the one and only high king 
instead of worshiping our own striving and worshiping things on this earth. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is good, pleasing, perfect will. I love that. I don't know if you've ever seen someone on a trapeze. Uh, They're swinging at very, very high uh, levels, right? They're holding on to these these, uh, bars with wires. I don't recommend it. I, I would never do it. But they're swinging through this and they're holding on tightly. And sometimes when I think about my recovery, I think of this picture of holding on to this trapeze. We call it white knuckling. You're holding on so tight we can see the whites of your knuckles, right? We're holding on tight and we're looking down. If I let go of this, I could die. And we're swinging through life trying to strive and manage our hurts, our hangups, our habits, and our broken relationships on our own. And we have a father who's swinging in saying, will you let go? And for far too long, I'd see that invitation from the father swinging in. I'd go, nope, not yet. And I would keep swinging. I'd keep swinging. And he never gave up. He kept swinging in saying, how about now? It wasn't until I understood this principle in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds their life will lose it. You mean the very thing that I'm trying to hold on to, that thinking I'm going to save my life is actually causing me to lose life? Yes. And whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You mean if I let go? In recovery language, we call that surrender. I'll actually save my life. Jesus is swinging in. Come be hidden with me. It's time to stop being hidden from me. Life is being hidden with Christ. Misery is being hidden from Christ. He wants you to accept his invitation. I'll ask my wife to, to come and share a little bit of her testimony with you this morning of how God really transformed her life, of what it looks like to be hidden with Christ. Would you welcome my wife, Carol? I'm a believer in Jesus, and I struggle with perfectionism and control, and my name is Carol. Hi. I grew up in a Christian home. I'm pretty sure I was at my first church service when I was just a few days old. Somewhere along the line, I began to believe that my worth was tied up in how hard I could work and how well I could perform. I believe that love and acceptance was all about how good I looked to everyone around me and my struggle with perfectionism was born. As I got older, I continued to put on my mask and to try to be the perfect person in front of others, especially at church. But inside, I was a complete disaster. The smallest failures on my part would spin me out. I would isolate from others, willing myself to do better, to be better. I would become depressed and angry, and the emotional walls I had around myself became higher and higher. And as a result, I had very few close friends and vulnerable relationships were non-existent in my life. When I got married, I thought that I would magically be able to have that close relationship with another person that I so desperately desired. But what I realized was marriage only brought out my struggles even more. 
and now they were affecting my husband as well. I would push him away emotionally any time I thought he was trying to get too close. I had such a fear that he would find out who I really was on the inside. As our son and daughter grew, I would find myself pushing them to be better and to do better. They would either completely ignore me or I would see them pushing themselves to unhealthy places to live up to the impossible standards that I would put on them. I continued this pattern of trying to be better and pushing my family to be better before actually surrendering my life to God. I thought I needed to be good in order for him to accept me, and I got caught in a never-ending cycle of hiding from Christ and not being hidden in Christ. I could never measure up. I was stuck here for 35 years. Sixteen years ago, God does, did what he does, and he plopped us right in the middle of Celebrate Recovery at our church. Because my husband was the recovery pastor, obviously, I needed to be involved in the small groups. I walked into that group for the first time, and this was my thought. Here is a group full of women, some I knew, some I didn't, and I didn't trust any of them. And my husband was their pastor, which ended up being a great combination. (laughs) But because I am also a perfectionist and stubborn, I was going to check all the boxes and get through this. After all, how would it look if the pastor's wife bailed out? I said as little as possible in these groups while still trying to answer as honestly as possible. God As I slowly surrendered my hurts and hangups to him, I began to forgive others for hurting me. I learned how to accept God's forgiveness and was learning how to forgive myself. I was able to make amends to my family for the effect my issues had on them. He was also teaching me that he put other people around me for a reason. He was changing my heart first, which is what I needed all along. Before recovery, I thought I was supposed to have all things figured out. I'd spent my whole life in church, and I spent the first 35 years of my life trying to hide, even from myself and manage my behaviors without understanding it really is about heart change first. As Jesus changed my heart, my internal thought processes began to change, which changed the way I outwardly responded. I learned that vulnerability truly is the antidote to my misery, and when I face my issues and admit to God and others, shame cannot survive. I am not designed to do life on my own. When I got lost in the details of everyday life and let perfectionism take over and distract me from the bigger picture, I was missing out on all those things that make life a joy to live, like true connection with God and family and friends. I no longer have to create a self-version of myself. I can become who Christ called me to become. Those telltale signs that I've slipped back into my perfectionist tendencies are now so clear to me. Depression, frustration, emotional walls, isolation, defensiveness, busyness, apathy, and procrastination. When those moments come, I have to slow down, turn and face those hurts, and with God's help and others, confront them head on. I still have a desire to do the best I can, but now I strive for excellence instead of perfectionism. Excellence is doing the best I can with what I've been giving, and it's a very different mindset. The end result isn't about me. It's about giving glory to the Lord. And if I fail, the world isn't going to come crashing down just because I made a mistake. I've learned not to take myself too seriously 
and to trust in the Lord that he will continue to equip me what he's called me to do. And so I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I am not perfect, and that's okay. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you. So much better to have a life hidden with Christ than to be hidden from Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord God, Lord, I don't know what people walked in here with this morning, or chances are there's some hurt, maybe, maybe some hurt that's been on a long journey of hiding and protecting and defending against, and my friends in this place are, are struggling to, to let go of whatever it is they have in their hands, Father. Lord, I just pray, Lord, would you just whisper into their hearts in this space, or their mindset may be to get it all cleaned up so they can come home to you and you'll be so proud of them, but, or to be reminded that a true gospel is understanding that coming home to you is what brings the change. And Lord, be reminded of, of your word that says there's nothing there's no choice that we can make that can separate us from your love. Lord, that we would be reminded, maybe again this morning, that the hope is that we would come home to you and you would change our heart and ultimately change our choices as we remain hidden with you in God. Lord, thank you for speaking to us. Thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us to to not just take it as a word, but to apply it to our life and ask that question, how will this change me today and what will I do with it? I pray for the courage and strength to run to you, Father, and believe and expect transformation to happen in this space. We love you, Father, and we thank you in advance for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.